You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. In the name of Jesus, amen. In the gospel lesson this morning, it's not entirely clear if Jesus is telling a parable, which you know, of course, is a story that that Jesus would tell, an imaginative story, that just kind of pushes a particular truth of the kingdom of God through to his hearers. Or maybe the other option is that this is not just a story, this is actually a piece of history. That there was actually a rich man, and then another man named Lazarus. Either way, I think that we should lean towards treating this story with real seriousness, as if it really did happen. Because the elements of this story are real, and so are the consequences of this story. According to experience, it's a fact that the vice of rich people is to eat, get fat, and ignore the the people who are languishing on their doorstep. It's also a fact, as you know from Holy Scriptures, that Abraham is a saint. It's a fact that there is such a place as heaven and hell. Now, what is clear is that Jesus intends for you to see yourself in this story and to consider what awaits at the moment of death. And so, like the rich man and Lazarus, you know that you will die. But what then? What is going to happen? Will you find yourself with Abraham, Lazarus, and the rest of the saints? Or will you be with the rich man, suffering in torment? What's the difference between these two men? These are the questions that Jesus sets before you today through this gospel lesson. And when we consider them, at first, we're going to be dismayed. But then we also find comfort. The doubts that that we might have concerning what awaits us after the grave is replaced with certainty. Hope fills our hearts. And we learn to cling to Christ in faith, knowing that if we die in this life, in the street, covered by swords, swords, not swords, (laughs) and befriended by dogs, nevertheless, we are more blessed than all of the wealthiest people in this world. This is what Jesus wants you to hear today. He wants you to learn about repentance, comfort, and mercy. So first, let's consider the example for repentance, the rich man. Jesus says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted his eyes and saw Abraham from far off and Lazarus at his side. Now, I think that would be a little bit too easy for us to to think about Lazarus and to quickly identify with him. Instead, I, I think that we should consider the fact that we do have more than enough to eat, right? And we don't have someone usually at our, 
at our doorstep begging for a piece of bread that might fall off our table. But nevertheless, real, real poverty and real need exist in this world. And I'm not talking about the kind of first world problems that we invent. I'm talking about the kind of abject poverty that I've seen, especially in other countries. Now, here in our city, state, and country, our Heavenly Father has blessed us with food. We have enough of it to feed ourselves and then more to give away to those in need. And thanks be to God for that, because for that reason we have a food pantry that's run by you, the saints of this church. Nevertheless, with an abundance of bread, with abundance of of gifts like this, the devil sees an opportunity, an opportunity for particular temptations. And these are the same temptations that especially faced the Pharisees who were the target of Jesus' story of the rich man and Lazarus. There are two temptations. The first is idolatry. And the second is self-righteousness. Before the story, Jesus said two things. You cannot serve both God and money. And when the lovers of money, the Pharisees, heard this, they ridiculed Jesus. And then Jesus said again, You are the ones who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Now the rich man and the Pharisees both loved money. They feared losing it, they loved to spend it, and they trusted in it for their future. Now, wealthy people know that other people have a reason to resent them. They have something that other people don't. And so they decide to flaunt good works and philanthropy, and this serves three functions. First of all, it eases their own conscience, it justifies them before men, And they even think that perhaps if God sees these these good works that I do over here, then perhaps he will bless me in the same way in heaven as he has blessed me upon this earth. Now, you and I are more like the Pharisees than we'd like to admit. Yeah, I know that the, the gospel prosperity folks wear their wealth and prosperity on their sleeves to, as a mark of you know being blessed by God, but that which they do in public and without shame, we often do in the secret shadows of our own hearts. When the budget gets tight, we worry, we fret, and we think that God has somehow abandoned us. And then when we do have a little bit of money left over, we reverently tend our nest egg, thinking that it will secure our future. And then we're tempted to forget that God exists at all. Now, don't get me wrong. Money, food, drink, friends, these things are gifts from God. But the devil loves nothing better than to take good gifts from God and then to turn them into idols or to turn them into the source and the reason for your self-justification. So I think our culture provides the roaring lion with rich hunting ground. Now, of course... We've been talking more or less about gluttony so far. And that was one of the rich man's problems, but wasn't his biggest problem. The worst of his problems was that there was a man at his doorstep who was dying, and the rich man refused to help him. 
I'm not as loveless as that man. I don't see anyone begging for food at my driveway. But if I did, I'd probably give him something to eat, right? Well, fair enough. But consider the neighbors that the Lord has placed under your nose, at your proverbial doorstep. The neighbors that you would like to forget. How easy is it to neglect your kids' need for attention and love when you come home from, from work after a really, really long day? How easy is it to neglect your parents? Just to tell them every now and then that you love them, that you appreciate all of the good work that they did in bringing you up. Husbands, do you really love your wives as your own body? And when was the last time that you spoke to your brother or sister without some malice in your voice? Dear saints, these, these are the neighbors at your doorstep. The ones that God has called you to love through your vocation. And Luther especially drives this point home. When in his instruction on the ten, in when his instruction on, I'm sorry, on confession in the small catechism, he writes, consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. It's through these Ten Commandments that you learn about your vocation and you learn about the neighbors that you serve through your vocation. It's there that you discover the neighbor at your doorstep. And it's there that you discover, through the Ten Commandments, how far short you have fallen of the glory of God. This is why St. John writes, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, Whoever loves God must also love his neighbor. You know, I have no doubt that the rich man thought of himself as a decent fellow, well loved by his friends that he feasted with, and, and perhaps loved by God as well because of his wealth. I'm sure that he generated, uh, generously donated to his favorite charities, which eased his conscience, especially when he had to step over that, that bump of a person in his gutter. You can't help everyone, right? But the wealth and the works that he so praised, loved, and trusted in dissolved into nothing the second his eyes closed in death. Because at that moment, the veil is lifted, the idols disappear, and the illusion of being a good man burns away in torment. Now, I, I don't think I would have spent so much time in talking about the rich man, but for this reason. His particular temptations, the temptations to idolatry and self-justification, the temptations that were particular also to the Pharisees, they matter to us here in this country, in this society, in this culture. There are temptations, and this is where Satan works hardest. And so through this rich man's example, Jesus tells us to repent. He wants us to see our idolatry for what it is. He wants us to see the guilt that we bear for thinking that our self-chosen works make up for the neglect of our neighbor. And he wants us to see the rich man's tor torment and to fear God. And so what must we do? How can we be like Lazarus? Should we go homeless? Should we sell everything we have and then go begging? 
Or perhaps if we're especially careful to, to help all of the Lazaruses in our lives, then God will be merciful to us when we die. Dear saints, there are plenty of beggars in this world. And through the course of human history, we'll never see the glories of heaven. Indeed, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul tells every able-bodied Christian to work as they are able, not to give themselves over to do nothing. The Scriptures never teach that begging is a self-justifying work. Then if it's not through begging, then perhaps Lazarus was saved through other works of love. Well, think about this story. Can you find one single work that Lazarus does? I can't. Why is Lazarus then carried into Abraham's bosom by the angels? Because of his great love? Where is it? He begs. He doesn't love. He's demanding mercy. He doesn't, he doesn't give mercy. His only good work is no work at all. Lazarus has Moses and the prophets who delivered to him God's promises of mercy, that is, the Holy Scriptures. In faith, Lazarus clung to their words of promise, knowing from those words that his heavenly Father loves him, even if the rest of the world despises him, hates him, and ignores him. It's kind of funny. Uh, Jesus plays with the name of Lazarus in this story. Now, in the Hebrew, Lazarus could mean two things. The first, one, the first option is that it means one who is helped by God. And the other option is that the one that no one helps. Now, isn't that great? When at the end of this, li- this man's life, he who was without help from his neighbors dies alone and forgotten, but the Lord helps him. He remembers his promises to which Lazarus clung in faith, and he sends his holy angels to bear him into the joys of heaven. And so, for this reason, Lazarus is especially our example of comfort. He is the example of a saint who bears every cross and trial in this life gladly, because he trusts in his Lord's love, which is made known in the Holy Scriptures. Now as the rich man gazed across the great chasm that separated heaven and hell, that separated him from the joys of heaven, he remembered five other neighbors besides Lazarus. And so speaking to Abraham, the rich man said, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my house, for I have five brothers, so that he might warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment." But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now, Do you know who you truly are in this story? It's the five brothers of the rich man. We're most like them. 
Though sometimes we might wish that God would reveal the truth of His Holy Word, the truth of His love to us through some miraculous sign from heaven, something that confirms it to our eyes and the eyes of everybody around us. Instead, God comes to us through His Word, through the Holy Scriptures, through the testimony of Moses, the prophets, and Christ Himself, who is indeed raised from the dead. And this, this is not a bad thing. Because this is the Lord's mercy. The five men were just as wicked as their dead brother, no doubt. But they still had one thing. The Holy Scriptures. And therein are found the words of eternal life. I want you to remember this from our Old Testament lesson today. The long-suffering patience of, of God, who continues to send prophets, apostles, and his mercy to to sinners through the Holy Scriptures. Nehemiah said to the Lord, he prayed to the Lord concerning the rebellious people of the Israelites, Many years you bore with them and warned them by your Spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you do not make an end of them or forsake them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. And so as the five men heard the testimony of Holy Scripture, of a Savior who was promised to die for them, who would wash away all of their sins from their loveless hearts, so you have the same promise today of a Savior who has died for you. He preaches to you through His prophets, and his apostles, and leaves no doubt in your mind that you are loved by God. You are forgiven. You have eternal life as a certainty, as certain as you are baptized. And when your love for your neighbor does fail, when it does falter, Jesus continues to send you his word, his word that drives you to repentance to comfort, and to mercy. And then he lavishes us with his kind words from the cross and comforts us with the promise of an empty tomb and the joyous reunion with all the saints in heaven. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 915, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 1045 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 830 a.m. 
with a Bible class to follow at 9.30 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in his grace.